Well, good day, friends, and welcome back to the Crosswalk Podcast. In today's episode, we're diving back into Galatians as we kind of round the corner towards the second half of the series. And today we're looking at the fact that, well, quite frankly, good people can be dangerous. Now, that sounds really strange to say. We're thinking, no, good people are a boon to society. They're a good thing to society. And in fact, they are. But the danger is not so much in avoiding. I'm not saying avoid good people, but we need to avoid thinking of ourselves too highly. We need to avoid thinking of ourselves as enough in and of our own goodness. And so today we dive back into Galatians where Paul is making a case. He's laying it out. Don't set aside the grace of God. Don't think that you have arrived. Don't think that you can do it all on your own. And so we pray that you would be filled with grace and humility as you listen today. We need this gospel, and yet people get it wrong, and we don't seem to have a hunger for it. Good people are dangerous, because instead of trusting in God and His goodness, they trust in their own goodness. And so it came to a point where it was like, I can't do this. I've got to get it off my back. I've got to give it to somebody else. And I remember that day that I decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to follow you. I'm, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to live my life for you. And it was like he took that off and he said, ah, he's like, I've been waiting on this. I'm going to carry it. Now. All right. Well, um, I kind of started to tell you a second ago about an experience I had last night going to Walmart. Yes, I'm very curious. Very, very curious. So, um, you know, I teach science and math. We're trying to do a biology lab this morning in first period, and it has to do with enzymes. You know, right. we're all kind of vaguely familiar with enzymes. They're in our bodies. They help, you know, break things down, build, build molecules up. Well, for this particular lab, I need raw liver. Like chicken liver or something? Or? Uh, well, um, I think chicken liver might work, but apparently, like, c- calf liver <laughs> is really good for it, too. And... Uh, you know, I've heard of the health benefits of liver. You know, people are like, it's oh, the most, yeah. supposed to be oh, the yeah. most nutrient-dense, like, internal organ, yeah. you know, because any kind of thing you watch, it's like people who um, who hunt, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you need to you need to keep the liver and cut that up and find ways to cook it that you can eat it because it's supposed to be really good for you. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to find. <laughs> like, I went to Walmart, and I'm looking through, and I'm thinking, maybe they'll have it over here in the beef <laughs> section. Maybe they'll have maybe they'll have chi- raw chicken livers. You know, I'm thinking like on a little meat tray. You know, all wrapped up in the poultry section. No, well, I could imagine that. <laughs> and so I had to hunt and hunt and hunt, and I did finally find. And it's these big old slabs. I mean, they're like they're like this big. Oh, you did find it. I did. Was it expensive? Kind of. I figured it'd be expensive. It was. It was calf liver. So it's not even like you know. I don't know why. I don't know why calf in particular, but it was calf liver. It was frozen. It was in the frozen section. Oh, really? Yeah, like the big, the big frozen aisle in the middle. And so you know, I say that because one, it was just odd to me that it was so hard to find. Apparently, not too many people eat liver. And I even asked one of the employees, and I was like, "Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but do you guys have any liver that's not frozen? Like over here?" She's like, "Oh no, honey, that's it." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the frozen one worked. The frozen liver was the only thing that was. Well, I bought it, and I'm going to try it. We'll see. It, oh, okay. The lab may be a total flop. All yeah. I know was I needed raw liver because of a particular enzyme that's still in it. 
That surprises me. I figured it would have been right, kind right. of expensive, honestly. Yeah, but it's like, it's one of those things, that, and it was kind of, I think it was kind of expensive. I don't remember exactly how much it was because I had to buy some other things with it. But, you know, it's supposed to be really high in vitamin A, folic acid, iron, zinc, all this stuff, really good. It's supposed to be good for eye health, producing diseases that cause inflammation. Like, apparently liver is like a great thing to eat, mm-hmm. and it's really good. But I don't hear about too many people liking it. You know, if you just if you'd have just waited about a week, you know, the velvet season opens next I know, week. I, I know. I was I, like, I well, I was literally sitting here liver. thinking yesterday. I was like, I need this liver now because I told the kids we would try to do this lab tomorrow. I was like, <laughs> I could just show up and disappoint them and say we're going to wait a week yep. and show up with a deer liver. Yep. You know, a, a week or two. <laughs> But uh, but I say all that just because it was kind of funny, but it also relates to what we're talking about today in that for all of the goodness that liver brings, it doesn't seem like too many people are like chasing after it, trying to get it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in many ways that parallels what we see even in the church with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Is that for all its goodness, for all of the gloriousness and the benefits and how much we desperately need the gospel. I mean, I'm not saying you need calf liver, but um, but we need this gospel, and yet people get it wrong, and we don't seem to have a hunger for it, even among believers. And so we are in, this is Crosswalk, guys, and that was a real-life story, hopefully to tie into our real faith. And we are in Galatians chapter 3 today. We've been going through our Galatians series. We're probably not going to read every single verse that we didn't hit last week. Um, we're going to kind of hit the highlights. In Galatians 3, the second half that we're going to look at today, starting in verse uh, 19, and in Galatians 4, Paul hits a lot of the same ideas, but he gives you multiple examples. So I want to encourage you, whatever we don't get to read, go read on your own. It, it's all related, and he kind of reiterates a lot of these themes that he's been building on up to this point. And so finally, we're going to answer this question today. Um, and this is where... Um, I think, you know, hopefully you, you clicked that thumbnail and you, on this YouTube video and you saw it and you were like, wait a minute, good people are dangerous? What are you talking about? Shouldn't we have more good people in the world? But Paul really lays out here a good answer for it, I think, in telling us why the law was given. Mm-hmm. And good people are considered good because they follow the law. Mm-hmm. But good people are dangerous because they, they then trust in the law and in their keeping of it and not in Jesus. Yeah. And that is a dangerous place to be. So Paul jumps in here in verse 19, and he says, Why then was the law given? He asks this big—I mean, that's a big question to, for, for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I would love to study it more. I don't know about the Jews. Were they really asking this question? Or did they already have the answer in their mind that they were just I, assuming? I doubt it. I, I think I they would, just had an assumed yeah, answer. Yeah, I would say they had an assumption. This was more probably of a, a Gentile— yeah, you know, yeah. What, what what was the point of even? What was even the point of you guys doing this? Right, they just kind of assumed it, and he says it was added for the sake of transgressions. In other words, in other words, and I think some people misunderstand this. In other words, what Paul is saying is the law was given to keep you guys from just getting way too bad. Mm-hmm. Basically, he says until the seed. And a few verses earlier, he's identified the seed, singular, one seed, as Jesus Christ. And he says, we are Abraham's seed as well if we are in Christ. And he said, he, it was given for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. 
which again, that ties into, you know, God is one. And maybe someday we'll tackle the topic of the Trinity. But right here again is another good point of just saying there's one God, one God alone in essence, in, um, you know, in existence, in, you know, all that, yet three persons, Mm. right? Um, So maybe we'll do that another day. He says, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. And this line right here, I think, is like the big major point of it. If the law had been granted with the ability to give life. Now, I'm teaching right now in geometry through these conditional statements, if-then statements, and this is a conditional statement. Mm -hmm. If it had been given with the granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Was the law granted with the ability to give life? No. That's exactly what Paul is laying out through here. He's saying, absolutely not. He says, the law was never given with the ability to give life, but they had misconstrued it that way. Yeah. Well, and the law had never defeated death either. You know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, well, did the, did the law die on the cross for you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Obviously not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was the thing about the Pharisees was they were banking on, they thought, oh, the Messiah hasn't come yet to liberate us from Rome or from anybody else who would try to, you know, subdue us under their political power, their military power. They thought the Messiah hadn't come to release them from all of this because the people were too wicked. Mm. They thought if we follow the law enough, then Messiah will come right. and he They're will set us free. They're, the pe- people aren't good enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I can't help but when I hear that, I, hear, I just hear modern-day Pharisees in my mind in America, mm. for people, even people within the church. And don't get me wrong, the Bible is clear, right? Sin is a reproach to any nation. Sin is a reproach to any nation. If you sin, there's consequences. It's just going to bring reproach. It's going to bring bad consequences on you as a nation. But we get all these ideas, and it's like, we'll say things like, and I, I'm, I'm not kidding, so if you're listening and you're, you're in California, <laughs> this is not me saying this, okay? If you're on the West Coast, this is not me saying this, but I have heard people say things like, look at all the nonsense going on in California. Look how bad the virus has spread there. Look how bad the wildfires are there. Look how bad the earth, this, that, all these things. And they're like, and then basically be like, yeah, they were the first to, to really, really support, you know, gay mayors. They were supposed to do this. They were supposed to do, first to do all that and everything. And they want to talk about, they want to equate natural disasters with judgment for their sin. Mm-hmm. And I just don't believe that that's really a one-to-one correlation. I don't think that's what it's getting at here. The Pharisees had that idea. They thought all these bad things are happening to us as a nation because of the people's sin who are not like us. Right. And I think we need to be careful that we don't become modern-day Pharisees in that. He says if it, it wasn't granted with the ability to give life, if it had been, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. So we're in Galatians 3.22 now. But... The Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. And the Scripture's a good thing, isn't it? We're, we're literally saying the very words of God, mm-hmm. given as a good thing, but yet this good thing imprisoned everything under sin's power, but for a very good reason, so that the promise, again, this is going back to the promise of Abraham, that all the nations in the world are going to be blessed by you, that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. This, this was a promise that Abraham saw probably largely in a personal context, somewhat, but that God had in a context for, him, for his own glory and for the good of all mankind. 
Well, we kind of get a we're kind of getting a little bit of foreshadowing here when he talks about mm-hmm. and even if you go on to verse twenty three, it says before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of uh, being in. I mean, in these verse two verses right here, back to back, we're talking about imprisonment under the law, imprisonment. And if you see in Galatians four, we're going to hop into that a little bit too. He talks more about how enslaving that this. This truly can be. And you know what I find interesting? <clears throat> Modern parallel. So you're talking about a good thing that enslaves, that put that imprisons. Mm-hmm. Well, our modern justice system by no means is perfect. It has its flaws. Like we have issues in our modern justice system in America. But yet the very people who will like who are like say it's the worst are usually the ones who are the lawbreakers, the offenders themselves, mm-hmm. who are like, oh, it just, it, the system failed me, the system did this, right. the system did that, and it's like, they'll push against it, but they won't admit their own fault in it. And so you can have something that is a good system, because it's good, imprisons evil. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that's foreshadowing what he's, he's bringing up. He's, you know, because back in verse 22, he said that it was given so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith. Right, He's saying the promise that was given to Abraham, we get to take part in that, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of our faith. Right, And so um, I'll let you continue on there in 24. This is, a big, this is a big analogy that Paul gives here that really explains the purpose of the law in verse 24, Galatians 3.24. And this is going to kind of lead us for the next probably few minutes into kind of what we're going to lay out here of why, of why good people can be really dangerous because they're trusting in their own goodness. Well, yeah, and which we this is kind of, this is actually where we ended on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Technically, we skipped kind a couple of, yeah. verses ahead and we read these, but yeah, it says the law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need that mm-hmm. guardian anymore. It's different now. Yes. Yes. And, and I think of my own kids. Um, and, you know, right now, you know, and your son, you're, you are experiencing this right now. He's just a little kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And my so goodness, he's adorable. Um, love that kid. Don't get to see him enough these days. Uh, but he, uh, how old? What, he's five months old now, yeah. Yeah, five months old. That's what I was going to say. Just turned five months, right? Yeah. No longer. And so... You guys have to do a lot of his thinking for him. All of his thinking for him. Because <laughs> beyond, ooh, that toe looks tasty. <laughs> you know, I don't know what else is going on in his head. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he's just going to put whatever in his mouth. He's going to, you know, try to move wherever he wants. Which, by, I mean, five months, and, and the, the kid is, he looks like he's 10, 12 months old, you know. And his, he's... And and is doing the physical yes. things of that age too. I mean, he's just he's just kind of physically advanced. He's trying to go, and so you guys have to do a lot of his thinking for him. My daughter is six, and we are really hitting that phase. And we don't, I, I, we're not getting it right either. <laughs> we're trying, but my daughter's really hitting that phase where she's we're beginning to realize we we Charlie we have to put some responsibility on you to start doing a little bit of your own thinking, hmm. and that's tough. That's mm-hmm. tough. But it's the same idea here. We were under a guardian, a.k.a. the law. I mean, you and I weren't, but we weren't alive then. But back then, right, in the, at this point in history, under the law, because it was the guardian, it was, here is how I want you to, to live and behave and do, okay? You don't have to think about it. You just have to do. You just have to obey and follow. 
Jesus comes and, the, and the, the participation in those promises on the basis of faith, and so therefore you're now no longer under a guardian because you were given the Holy Spirit to help be your guidance and everything so that you learn to think, uh, again, where it says, we're, as Paul would say else, we're given the mind of Christ. So that you begin to think and, and judge and discern for yourself. You no longer have to have a guardian who does all your thinking for you, but you learn to begin to take responsibility in the Spirit. Yeah, I, I think back to... And not to say, they definitely were not doing all the thinking for me. But I think back to, you know, my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I specifically remember I was eight when I was 18 years old. I, uh, I was 18. I had just graduated high school. Uh, and it was that summer of high school. You know, we'd gotten back from the beach. And, you know, we're all hanging out at the house. You know, I'm working, working a little bit. You know, about to start back going to uh, my freshman year of college uh, at a community college down here in Rose State. Uh, and I was sitting downstairs in my room one day, and Mom came down there, and she started just chit-chatting with me. And she said, which, and, and you know, my mom and dad, they've always been, you know, godly people, godly mm-hmm. parents, and they've always uh, wanted to guide us and direct us as much as they can biblically, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And they always had felt like, yeah, and I'm not necessarily talking about like age of accountability and stuff like that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mom and dad had always felt like there was a point where even when we was in high school, even then when we could make decisions for ourselves, they were still the mediator between me and God in a sense. They are not talking not obviously talking about taking the place of the Holy Spirit, but just oh, right, in a, right, just right. in a sense of they felt like my actions, like they were still being held accountable for the actions that they let me yes, portray. Definitely, in, definitely in a sense of a, me, a, a guardian, like just like what Paul like a guardian, talking, like a guardian, um, especially in well, just just in our everyday life and, and legally in America. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They were legally could legally right. be held liable for some of your actions and things. But then also, I like what you said. What they're saying there, you know, even spiritually, is like there is a there's an accountability between. There's an accountability to God right. that a parent has for what's going on with their kids, and, and, and it is. They have to. Yes. The goal of a parent is to well, and that's, prepare the child for that transition that's where they're what they fully. Were, that's what they were saying. It's fully on them. They were saying, you know, hey, you know, up until this point, which I already knew this, you know, up until this point, you know, we have felt like, you know, we have still been kind of that bridge and mm-hmm. just you know yeah, that's we've a good had, word that's a good word we've had you know the accountability there and she was like but she was like i just want to let you know like me and your dad have been praying about it and we've been you know thinking and we really feel that now it has been the time that god is lifting that off of us and she was like we feel that it is no longer us that is accountable it's no longer us mm-hmm. that has to answer it's like it's on you you have to answer to God. You're accountable for everything that you do. And I just remember, like, in like that day, it was just like a really big, like, it was. I don't know. I mean, it, in moments like that, you just you you could never convince mm-hmm. me that Christ, that God, is not real, dude. Because it's just like it's literally almost like I could just I felt her take that weight <laughs> off her shoulders <laughs> yeah. and stick it onto mine. You know, yep. it was just, in that moment, it was like okay, 
I have to make a decision mm-hmm. now. And we're not talking about these things from a, like a any kind of like salvation standpoint. No. You know, Caleb, obviously, we all have been, we are all accountable for our own sins mm-hmm. to God. But the things that are going on, Caleb's choices, his actions, things that are going on in Caleb's life, what he's talking about is, you know, that his parents shared in some of the responsibility, some of the accountability of it Yeah. until this point. Yeah, and until this point, you know, it, it was all on me and it was almost like in that moment you know you could feel god you know not obviously an audible voice obviously not an actual hand on you you know but you could just feel god mm-hmm. and he was like hey like it's on you now you you have got the de- decision do you yes. want do you want to follow me or do you or not absolutely do you want to follow me or do you not absolutely and i remember that just being a really scary and of course me being like okay well yeah you know i got this but then you know obviously that first two three (laughs) four well not four but like that first at least year you know maybe two there was just like a downhill slope i mean it was just talking about i mean everything was weighed out every choice everything i did was weighed out and it was like every consequence of that choice was heightened and it was just it was really the weight is crushing is it, it not? was man it was really really hard to just to weigh out you know what do i believe and what you know what have i been taught for the rest of my life and what you know how far do i want to go with my faith and just like trying to figure it all out and then like coming to like that breaking point where it's just like i give up i give it to you i mean this is just I'm done. Like, I, I don't want to do it on my own because there's like, right. when all that weight gets oh, put amen. on you good, and that accountability, it is so heavy. And it's like that first year, it's like, all right, I'm going to try to carry this. I'm going to try to carry it. And then it's like, how, how, how was mom and dad helping me carry this? How, how, mm-hmm. how has God been trying to help me carry this? It's like, I don't know how to do this. And so it came to a point where it was like, I can't do this. Amen. I've got to get it off my back. I've got to give it to somebody else. And I remember... That day that I decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to follow you. I'm just I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to live my life for you. And it was like he took that off and he said, "Ah, right. he's like I've been waiting on this. Like I'm going to carry it now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to do it now. I'm going to carry it now." And that I, is that same. You know, that's how I, I think feel that's that exactly guardian. where we were discussing. I think it was the last episode. Yeah, I think it was last week, which. Um, you know, sorry guys, that was a bit late releasing. Um, which life's been crazy. Uh, but I think that was when we were talking about how we get all these people who grow up in the church and yet like you take somebody who didn't grow up in the church and they come to faith in Jesus and that person who didn't grow up in it, they they seem to grasp and mm-hmm. really understand the gospel mm-hmm. better than the people who grew up in it. And I'm realizing the Bible actually talks about that. Like the Bible like this yeah. is exactly what he's talking about here because um, you know, when you grow up and you have Godly parents who are trying to help you learn good habits, learn good disciplines, be involved in church and things, which are all good things. I'm not saying, like, don't take your kids to church. <laughs> but you didn't, you weren't responsible for it. Mm-hmm. It was, well, mom and dad said we're going. All right, let's go. Right. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, when it's mom and dad are not making me go to church, what's it going to be? Mm-hmm. Am I going to do it? And Paul talks about this in Galatians 4, a similar idea. He says, you know, in the in four one, he says, I say as long as the heir, okay, so the heir, like H-E-I-R, somebody who's going to inherit all the things, as long as they're a child, 
He differs in no way from a slave. It's mom and dad say, dude, and I'm not saying that, that again, we're not, this is not an ab- abusive slavery situation, okay? We're talking about a, a servant, somebody who's under the command, right? It, you know, somebody who's under the command of a master. Mom and dad say, do that. You do it. You're accountable. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's part of your accountability to God is your accountability to your parents. You right. honor your father and mother. And even though this heir is technically going to be owner of everything, Right, if you know, if your daddy is a billionaire, even though you're probably going to inherit a lot of wealth, if you're the kid, you're not any different than like the household servant. Mm-hmm. You are told what to do. You're under the instead, instead he's under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, and I love this verse. I love this. This is good. This is a good one. Out of, out of Galatians 4, this is the one, one of the verses I've heard people say, you know, from pulpits and stuff a lot. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And it's exactly what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all the weight of it was put on you, and it will crush you. With the very first step, you'll mm-hmm. be crushed through the floor. Yep. And so what God did, he says, you can't carry that weight. Let me send you someone who can born under the law, to take the weight of the law off of us to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Mm. And because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Right, that Abba, if you've been in church much, you know, you probably heard somebody preach this at some point, right? Mm. It's, like, it's like the Hebrew word for, like, like Dada, right? Abba, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then God has made you an heir. And he's saying, be like an adult child. Be like someone who's grown up, who's making their own decisions, who is accountable, and who you can't bear the weight of that accountability on your own. The Spirit is placed inside you mm-hmm. to lead you into these things and to help carry that load for you, to help you see that no matter how long you've been a believer, you need the gospel every day. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, you know, I, I think back to that verse, and you have to put it in context, you know, because here we're kind of talking about getting out from underneath being children and kind of mm-hmm. being that adult child. But also makes me think back to that verse, you know, where it talks about that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, we have to be like a child, you know. But I think about that not in the sense of the world standards of what a child is. And a lot I'm of glad times, you brought that up. a lot of times we like to to look back and we think that oh, okay, well, yeah, children have great imaginations and all this other stuff. And it's like that's not what it's talking about. It's not about that. It's about the fact that a child looks up to their mama and their daddy for, mm-hmm. for the answers, for them to carry the loads, for them to take responsibility. And it's like, okay, well, here's, here's what's happening. Here's, here's I don't the want word. you to be a children. Humility. I don't want you to be the children of your parents anymore. I want you to be the children of Abba, Father. I want you to be a child of me. He's like, so you're going to be an adult child, but you're still being a child of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm daddy now. I'm going to take the take it off your back. I'm going to be the one carrying it. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why we started this off saying good people are dangerous. Yeah. Because instead of trusting in God and His goodness, they trust in their own goodness. Yeah. Right? Because there's all kinds of... The history is full of people who grew up as what we might consider good moral people. Mm-hmm. And their self-righteousness, their morality, led them down a road to do just absolutely atrocious things. Yeah. Because in their minds, I carry this weight. I've mastered it, even though they haven't. 
I've carried this weight. I've mastered it. Now let's put it on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Let's put it on these people. And it's just an absolute grace killer. Mm-hmm. There's zero grace with people like this. And so good people can be very dangerous. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that coming like a child. Because the Pharisees, that wasn't it, man. They're like, people need to grow up. That's the problem. People are behaving like children is our problem. That's why Messiah's yeah. not coming. Yeah. And Jesus comes along, and he redefines two things. He redefines, number one, the kingdom of God, and number two, how you get into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, the kingdom of God is not what you thought it was. It's not, exa- it's not a... Israel's on the inside, everybody else is on the outside. Mm -hmm. This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign and the presence of God wherever he goes. And everybody can be a part. And the way into it is not by law-keeping, like they thought. They'd misconstrued it. They'd misconstrued the purpose Mm -hmm. of law. It's not by law-keeping, but it's by being like a child and being humble. Good people are often not humble. Well, I think, yeah, I think you hit that right, you know, the nail on the head right there. I think even possibly a better way to, 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 to put that is to say that, you know, God did come and he did change the definition of, uh, of how we interpret two things, the kingdom of God. But for that second part, I think that he changed the way, same thing, just calling it something different, the family of God. Mm, because yeah. we no longer, it's no longer everybody gets to be daddy. We got one daddy. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jesus Christ is sitting up there. That's our daddy. That's our king. Everybody else it did. is it children. Did change, it did change family because they did view God as father, but not personally. Mm-hmm. Not personally. The religious people of Jesus' day, and really throughout most of Israel's history before that, up to that point, it was God as father of the nation. Mm-hmm. Of the mm-hmm. nation. Right. Who would dare to claim God as their own personal father? And, and I'm not just making this up. Like This is from Scripture. This is from the Gospels. Because when Jesus would say that he was the Son of Man, mm-hmm. which was a claim to deity, if you go back and you look right. at it, that, this comes from Daniel, and this figure in Daniel is clearly deity. And Jesus, that was Jesus' most common thing he's recorded in the Gospels as calling himself as Son of Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are, we're equating Son of Man with the deity that's also the Son of God. And they, you, you can go back and read, and I don't have the um, exact, I can probably pull it up here, I don't have the exact reference, uh, but, the, you know, they, they just, oh my word, they gawk at, like, how dare he call himself son of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, God's the father of the nation, not personally. And so it does, it redefines the kingdom, it redefines the relationship with God. Yeah. The family relationship is like, no, you, you personally get to claim him and approach him and come to him, not just as a father who's cold and expects perfection from you and is unloving, but as a daddy. Well, yeah, and so and then he, he so he's explained this out to us, and then he goes on and he says, "But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved. So all that since so in the past, since all that you knew was the law, you were enslaved to these things by the nature. By nature, are not gods. But now, since you know God." or rather have become known by God, which I think that's interesting. kind of makes me type a flashback to that verse in Matthew where it says that, you know, not everybody uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, and they're going to get there, and they're going to say, you know, Lord, Lord, you know, did we not prophesy in your name? And he's going to say, 
flee from me, you know, for I did not know, I did not know you. <sighs> you might have known of me, but I did not know of you. Yeah. Kind of just gives me that, you know, well, every time I hear something like it's that. It's one of those things that, like, it's why I'm thankful for Galatians. It's why I'm thankful for Ephesians. They clarify the understanding of the gospel for us. Mm-hmm. And if your understanding of the gospel is not according to what Galatians is laying out here, what Ephesians lays out for us, you know, what a lot of these letters of Paul lay out for us, you've got it wrong. And you very could well, if you're trusting in that, find yourself in that group that gets separated right. and are looked at and said, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. That's scary that's to, to think that. Yeah. And that's what happens. I, I think going back to what we had talked about last week, the idea of people growing up in the church and not getting it, it happens because that's the danger of goodness, is we think we, that because we, all, we do all the good Christian things that we're doing authentic Christianity. And so people grow up, and they reach a point where mom and dad aren't making them do it anymore. Life gets a little bit hectic. Things happen, and their false Christianity, their false version of it, crumbles under the weight of it, yeah. and they walk away. And there's actually um, there's actually a verse in Hebrews. I don't remember exactly where it is. I wish I could. But um, in Hebrews, it basically talks about those people. It's like you've tasted of the goodness. You've, you've read the Scriptures. You've done all these things, and then you walk away. And basically it's like it's going to be almost impossible to reach those people again. Mm-hmm. I think it's why we see all these deconstruction stories and things going on. And I'm not making a judgment call. Right. I'm not making a judgment call. I don't know. And obviously this would have to be on a person-by-person, case-by-case basis. I don't know about the salvation you know, of these people, whether they are or not. Right. But I'll be honest especially looking at the background a lot of them come from and, and what exactly has gone on in their life and what's going on, what they've done in the faith and everything, it seems much more likely to me that they grew up and they, never, and, they, and they were just so engrossed in all these Christian things and never quite truly grasped the real understanding of forgiveness and the real understanding of the gospel, and they grew up. And when they started to doubt, when they walked away, they walked away thinking, I've, I've tried Christianity and it doesn't work. But all they've tried is a false version. Well, it's all about that relationship that we build with God. And mm-hmm. so when he when we come up, because obviously you know, and he says, "Oh, but now you know, God knows you, or you're known by God." Or in that verse, Matthew, where it says, "I never knew you." Obviously, we know that God knows everybody. Okay, obviously he does. He knows your name. Okay, and obviously he's sought after you. He's 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 seeked after you. But what that is talking about is not is not a sense of oh, okay I didn't even know you was a person that you ever even existed necessarily. It's more right, of a right. so here's the thing you grew up in church or you did you know you did this and you tried Christianity and you learned you learned the you learned the scripture and you read the Bible and you learned everything there was to know about me. You know all about me. Well, we do this. We but actually have never we, built we a relationship modern, for me to know you. In modern culture, we do this exact thing. Somebody will come up and they'll be like, "Hey, you want to go? You want to go do this? You want to go do that?" I'm like, "I don't know you, mm-hmm. right?" Like we free, we're like, "I don't know you." Mm-hmm. And that's basically what God is doing here. He's like, "Look, I know you exist. <laughs> I know you. I know your name. I even know everything you've done. Mm-hmm. I know every, I know more about you than you know about yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't know you. Yeah. I don't have. You've not had relationship with me. You've not trusted me to the point of coming into." the grace-filled relationship that's there, you know. But, man, it is. it is It's scary. And that's why it is so dangerous that we don't trust in our own goodness. We don't trust in being good moral people. 
but that is what we have. That's what I see. We, and you know, we've talked about cult, you know this idea of cultural Christianity, like we yeah. do it because socially we think it makes us a good person. We think socially it has advantages, and just it's it's how for for the 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 type of life that we want to pursue, we see church as a means to that. We see our Christianity as a means to that. And and so people have this idea of, they get this idea of there being like two levels almost. It's like, well, you have your average, just your average Christian. They go to church. They probably pray. They probably pray when there's, you know, uh, uh, some kind of crisis in their life and everything. But largely, they're trying to fit Jesus into their life. And then we're like, but then there's the really committed. And that's just not for me. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, it's just not for me. I don't want to do the whole completely sold out. I'm going to do whatever Jesus says. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, you know, work the other good things of life into my pursuit of Jesus. I'm trying to fit Jesus into my pursuit of, and Jesus is like, mm, no, there's not two levels. What? Here's, there's yeah. only one. There's only one. There's complete abandonment of yourself and your ego and total devotion to me. That's the only level of Christianity there is. Yeah. Well, and it all falls back to, you know, you, you talk about that casual Christianity or, or, you know, cultural Christianity. You know, we got a lot of names for it. But really, when we all boil, boil down to it, uh, and I can really appreciate this from, from Craig, but really, when it all boils down to it, we are sugarcoating what that means. We are sugarcoating this casual Christianity, this cultural Christianity. Craig Groeschel, Gro, Groeschel, Groeschel, yeah. Yeah. okay, which is the founder of the the Bible app. You know the uh, Life Church, Life Church, and the I don't remember what it was when Bible they founded app. the church. It wasn't Life. They've ch- you know rebranded, called it Life Church, and they are the ones who have done the U version Bible app, and it's amazing. All the, I mean, how many, how many translations, but not just that, how many different. Languages. Oh yeah, there's a Bible translation oh, yeah. on you. I mean, it's it's absolutely remarkable, and I can only imagine what the apostles and other, <laughs> you know, saints throughout the ages would yeah. would think of the of how easy how easy it is to get the scriptures to everybody in the world. But it is a, a awesome guy, awesome awesome things he's doing. But he made a he wrote a book uh, a couple years back. Okay, and he called it. The Christian atheist, okay, and so mm-hmm. yeah. he he doesn't step on any toes with it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He just comes out there and he calls it like he sees it, and he calls the book the Christian atheist. And it kind of goes over this 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 same thing where we want to, if we're not living like there's a God, then what is the point in saying that we believe in a God? If we're not living, if we're not saying, if there's not actual evidence and and where we're saying, oh, okay, well, yeah, I have a relationship with God. There's, you know, I have this relationship with what I know to be God. Then how can we sit here and say, and and I feel like, you know, biblically that backs that up because I mean, it's it's it is about not just me going around and, and saying stuff. Oh yeah, I, I believe in God, or oh yeah, I believe mm-hmm. this to be true or that to be true. But if I have absolutely nothing to back that up, if I have absolutely if like we're saying, if I basically have no relationship with Christ whatsoever, then obviously I found this passage in Hebrews, and I'll read it in just a second when you finish. It's that really relates to this. So well, no, no, it I mean that's nail in the head. No, yeah, that's I'm just saying if we if we don't have that relationship, then ultimately it's going to come down to that point where God mm-hmm. says, "I never knew you," and ultimately yes. we know what happens after that. And Christian so, atheists, yeah, absolutely. And that's, it, it, 
it's hard to hear, but that's just the truth of it. If we don't have that relationship, if we're if we're gonna sit here and be like, oh yeah, I give my tithe and read my Bible, you know, and I I believe God's a real guy, you know, and I go to church, you know, and I try to be good and do all this, whatever. But but realistically, realistically, people who do that, they're living life as a practical atheist. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Everyday I mean, nothing's every, different. Everyday life is as if God is not who He says He is, as if He is not real. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so and, and so Hebrews six, man. So you th- we all, we all, we always think about that Matthew passage of like oh I never knew you we always think about that as a really mm-hmm. heavy one this is like right in with it mm-hmm. this this is heavy I don't know why this one's not preached more Hebrews six therefore let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity yeah he said and, and again not that we're abandoning the gospel and only talking about he's like but please understand the gospel properly and then we'll again he says not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works faith in God teaching about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And we'll do this if God permits. He says, For it is impossible to renew to repentance. Mm. It is impossible, he says, to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. And this is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to content. For the Whoa. ground, that, yeah, for the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. And so, I think of even the passage of uh, the par- of the parable that Jesus gives of the sower sowing seeds Dang. and the different types of soil, and it's like this is the this is the soil that's producing thorns and thistles. And you've tasted the goodness of God. You've grown up in church. You've been in this thing your whole life. Maybe you've been in, a, in an East Tennessee-type community where you're in the Bible Belt, and you just think all these people believe in Jesus, and you think you do too, but you're not really following Him. Mm-hmm. You're receiving the goodness of the rain and all the, the goodness of things that you need to produce fruit, but you don't have the life within you that can produce that fruit. And so you produce thorns and thistles. And I'm telling you, if you're trusting in that, it's worthless, about to be cursed, and at the end, it will be burned. Man, and so I don't see how people can listen to that. I don't see how people can read that in their Bibles or hear somebody preach it or say it or read it to them. I don't see how people can hear that. And not and say, let me do a, a, a deep dive yeah, and let make me sure do a I'm quick getting soul it search. Right. Let me do a quick soul search here because it's like, I know where I'm going. I know what kind of track I'm on. I know what relationship I have with Christ, and I, you know, and and obviously it's got a lot of room to grow. And it's, but you know, I know where I'm at in my relationship with Christ. And even me reading that, I'm like, oh my goodness! Like, let me, I, I need to get down on my hands and knees and pray to God that do not let me be distracted by this world. Do not let me. Do not help me to never be so distracted by in this world that I can rely back on myself again because I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to get down on my hands and knees and just ask God to just forgive me all over again, you know? And so I don't see how people who have even remotely questioned where they're at in their faith or their relationship with God, how they can't read something like that and be like, whoa, let, let I, I, I need to check on search. some stuff. Yeah, I need to check myself. It's just blows well, my mind. And Jesus... And we did. I actually did. Um, it was uh, a while back. I don't remember which episode it was. Did a so, when I did that one solo about do you hate God? Mm-hmm. And that's how we live our life. 
hate in the in the way that the Hebrew culture would use it, hate could mean literal like actively hating, like what we think of the word hate, or it could mean hate by comparison. And so Jesus calls us to have such a love for him, such a love for God, that all other loves are hate by comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right now, the, sun, the sun's coming up. The sun's going to be out. Well, the stars are out too. Stars are always out. You just can't see them. <laughs> right. Because the sun's so bright. Right. He's not saying don't love all the people in your life. Don't love, don't have affection, don't have good thoughts and th- feelings and things, good pursuits in your life. But it ought to be, yeah. they're there, but you don't even notice them hardly because your love for me burns so brightly. Yeah. And that is where the danger is. That's where we need to ask ourselves that, those deep soul-searching questions. Do I truly cherish and love and desperately long for Jesus above all else? Yeah. Or am I cherishing my own goodness? Am I a good person who is on a dangerous path? Mm. Because I'm trusting in goodness and my goodness instead of the goodness of Jesus. So, guys, we will pick back up in Galatians 5 next week. We didn't read all of four uh, because, again, I encourage you to go read it for yourself. There's a lot of the same things. Paul lays out more analogies that, well, Abraham had two sons. One was by a slave woman. One was by a free woman. We are the children of the free woman. We are the children of grace, of the promise, not of the law, not of works. Nobody can boast about it, as he would say in Ephesians. And so, guys, I hope that this has been helpful to you. Come back. Join us next time on Crosswalk.